stories of walking with Jesus, serving with love, and sharing with courage. Welcome to the PCOM Podcast. Welcome back to the PCOM Podcast. I'm Pastor Courtney Ellis, really excited to be sitting here with our head of staff, Senior Pastor Jackson Clellan, fresh off sabbatical. Jackson, welcome back. Thank you. It's great to be back. And uh, I'm glad to be doing this again. We tried once earlier and uh, you were uh, just getting the technology figured out. So you were kind enough to be my guinea pig, and yeah. the sound quality was so bad, I couldn't even listen to it. So great. your answers were great, but we'll never know. <laughs> That's right. It's gone into the cloud. It's, it's gone. It's gone. It's gone forever. So we get to go again. Uh, and maybe the answers will be different now on the other side of three months of they are. Yeah, rest and absolutely. refreshment. Uh, so what do you do for fun, Jackson? When you're not here, when you're not in a meeting, what do you like to do? Uh, my... Favorite things are active things. I, I love right now, uh, I like mountain biking, and I've discovered that there are trails all over uh, South Orange County, and they all interconnect, and it's a lot of fun just getting out there on them, and surfing as well, longboard surfing, and so the, the active life is, I think, what keeps me, me sane in some ways, uh, just getting out on, on a trail by myself or sitting in the water by myself. I, being an only child, I realized I did a lot of things by myself. Oh, interesting. So is it the is it the adrenaline? Is it the solitude? Is it the like moving your body in a way that you don't get to around the office? What's the what's I, the draw? I think it's it's a little bit of both. I, I like something that has some challenge to it. And uh, I like uh, how I feel if I've had exercise. I tend to be able to think more clearly and focus uh, when I'm with people. Uh, so it seems to pay its way forward. And given the fact that pastors do a lot of sitting, this is a way to make sure you uh, you don't uh, get heavy and uh, and out of shape. So yeah, there's yeah. there's really there's some days where I'm like, I'm so tired, but I didn't move, right? Like I never moved yeah. today. It's all my, my fingers are typing or my brain is working, but there's not a lot of there's not a lot of activity always. Sometimes yeah. we do our pastoral meetings while walking, which I love, but yeah. it's been 95 degrees. So we kind of had to not so much right now. <laughs> But the mountain biking thing is, is fun, I think, for Daryl and I, because on a Sunday morning, we don't know what sort of road rash you're going to show up with. There's yeah. usually a, like, look at my elbow, look at my knee. I usually come in with some something that, uh, some little scar that I have a story about, which is not necessarily good, but it keeps things interesting. We always ask, how was your weekend? And you're like, well, and then you show you lift up your sleeve, right? And there's this, like, bloody mess. Yeah. It's a gash, yeah. You're tougher than I'll ever be. You're funny. <laughs> Uh, so Jackson, you have been in ministry for 20 years, yep. 20 years, and you just returned from this three-month sabbatical. What is a pastoral sabbatical, and why is it so important, especially after putting in so many years in ministry? Right. So a sabbatical is related to the word Sabbath, which in the Bible is uh, every seven days we take a rest, and a sabbatical is uh, a longer uh, Sabbath in essence. Uh, this was three months and it was time to step back, to, to regain some energy, to look out over the long haul and uh, without being enmeshed in all of the usual uh, 
things that happen in a church with meetings and decisions and emails and, and things you have to respond to, but to, to look out and uh, see, you know, who you are in that, in the, in the system of, of things, uh, what it is that you really feel that you want to do in ministry or even outside of ministry, so that uh, you can look forward uh, to the next 20 years with some health. Uh, and it was great. Uh, that was uh, exactly what I needed to do in, in the time that uh, I got the sabbatical. So I'm glad to be back, but I come back with a little uh, slightly different focus as to what I want to do in ministry now. I think I was telling you and, and Daryl that I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get back in the groove, but I realized that the groove is not exactly the same. And I want to be doing a little less of the administrative things and being out with uh, the congregation a bit more is something that I feel uh, is more important and, and what will also uh, help me be a better pastor in some ways. And the beauty of that is Daryl seemed to take on a lot of the of the administration while I was gone and liked it. He loved it. Yeah. I don't I don't have that part of my brain, but he no. he does. He enjoyed no. it so much. And I can do it, but it doesn't uh, give me energy to do it. Yeah. Where I could see with Daryl, he was getting more excited the more meetings and and organization and strategizing that he was doing and I was like, "Well, that's great." Yeah. So well, so we'll see how all this plays out, but I think so far so good. Yeah, no, I I agree. It was it was fun watching Daryl as acting head of staff this summer because I had certain fears about your sabbatical, born of my own time as a solo pastor, because I am not good at those things. And I thought, man, like it's going to be a long summer, but Daryl just has the gene for it. And so I was able, in part, because you set up the sabbatical so well, we had a lot of preaching support, we had a lot of outside voices coming in. I was able to to stay in in my wheelhouse, and uh, it was. It was a great summer, and I, I went into it with a lot of fear, and I came out of it with a lot of just thanksgiving for the, the ways that you supported your staff in setting it up. I remember the week before you left, I was talking to a couple other staff members, and they were like, what does this say about Jackson that even his sabbatical is not about him? Like, it's about setting the church up well. And it was about yeah. you, about you going away and yeah. restoring, yeah. but you you set it up so well that we all felt very, very supported. And I think a lot of pastors go on sabbatical and they're so tired, they're like, handle it, I'm out, I'm, yeah. I'm gone, and yeah. you didn't do that. No, I mean, I think we had a lot of discussion ahead of time, and we talked about what-if scenarios and who do you talk to and who do you lean into if you know, X, Y, Z happens. And so it did help to, to bring anxieties down to have those conversations up front. And, and the honest truth is we have such a strong staff and, uh, and leadership with the elders here as well, that, that there's not a lot that you, know, you wouldn't find support for yeah. if, if it happened. And then thankfully, there wasn't anything other than a laminating machine in the preschool that <laughs> caught on fire. That, well, the preschool wasn't in session. Well, yeah, exactly. So all the, all yeah. those things are good. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to not have to call the fire department and to not use an EpiPen all summer. Those were two of my goals, <laughs> and we, we made it. So. Those are good goals. <laughs> and it is good to have uh, some fresh voices in the mix, too, which you know, people get used to hearing you know, the three of us uh, from the pulpit each week. And I think when you've got someone with whose experience base is different in ministry, like my friend Peter uh, from Bend, who, who's uh, a very different temperament than me, but also has a very different uh, 
experience as a pastor. He comes in with, with some insights, perhaps, that uh, none of us would have. And my friend Aaron is just, uh, he's got a lot of leadership gifts and uh, brings uh, that mantle into uh, how he leads worship. So I think it's good for, for PCOM to, to just uh, uh, hear some different voices, uh, even though they may not be going in the, strategically in the direction that, that we we're all headed. I think occasionally having those folks uh, in the mix is, is refreshing. Yeah. to all of us too. So It was great to hear yeah. from new voices. It was great for me as a preacher. I feel like I learned things about preaching because people were bringing in different things and new yeah. things. And I, I really was, it was really, really um, a beautiful thing, I think, for the congregation to have every single one of those guest preachers get up there and mention in some way that they had been praying for our church, right. that they'd been praying for our staff, that they'd been praying yeah. for our ministry. And I think for people to realize, gosh, someone in Washington State and someone in Oregon and someone down the road at Fuller is is yeah. praying for us was a really cool, cool experience. Well, and Randy and Ken have such a, a breadth of experience, too, and to have them be able to preach uh, I think is also uh, good for them, good for the congregation. And so, yeah, yeah, I think, you know, those are some lessons learned. Perhaps uh, we build in uh, the occasional guest preacher in some ways that we haven't as well, which, yeah. which, is, which is good. Yeah. yeah, it was it was a good summer. We are so glad you're back, but Thanks. we survived your absence, and I think we're all pretty proud. We're like, Dad, we did it! Like we held it together. Yeah, you did it. I, <laughs> I, I wasn't surprised, but I, I was really thankful to come back and see either. We didn't hand you a giant mess. That no, was the goal. No, <laughs> like here is this I, in your lap. Yeah, I came back and there wasn't a, a stack of things that had been left on hold. So it's really good. Well, thank you. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank thank you for setting it up the way you did. And at the end of the sabbatical, we all got gelato. So it was it was good on every level. All the kids were like, is he going next somewhere? Do we get ice cream again? Yeah, there's uh, the beauty of having this sabbatical paid for by the, the Lilly grant was great for the congregation, too, because all of these guests and the gelato and, and all of our travels uh, were paid for uh, outside of church budget. Yeah, how do you do that? Because I don't think everyone knows. They're like, how do we pay for this? How do we manage this? But it wasn't a PCOM budget line item. Right. Uh, so PCOM uh, gave permissions uh, through personnel and through the session and the congregation for me to take a sabbatical. But I applied for a grant uh, through a foundation that gives grants for pastors to take sabbaticals. And uh, that's how all of this came about. Uh, the I was one of the very fortunate recipients of, of this grant, and they wrote a check to the church and said, do what you proposed. And so we did. Uh, I went and spent a week with some Benedictine um, Roman Catholic monks in a monastery in Nursia, Italy, and uh, they have a very different way of doing church than we do. They pray seven times a day, uh, in Latin, chanting Gregorian chant, uh, starting at 3.30 in the morning, and again at 6 and 7.45 and 10 through the day until uh, their final one at 7.30 in the evening. And uh, for me, I didn't have any Latin in my background, so I would sit and read the Psalms and the Gospel of John while they were chanting the same things in Latin and found that that uh, grounding in scripture and in prayer was really helpful for, for me. Uh, I think that for me it was really important because my temperament, as you know, is, is active. 
uh, you know, get out on a mountain bike and go surfing, those kind of things. But the contemplative side uh, is, for me, a discipline uh, that is not, uh, how would I describe it, uh, easily kept. It's not an easily kept discipline uh, to be a contemplative. And yet I recognize its necessity for me to pay attention to the inner life and to uh, be attentive to God's voice. And the only way that I know how to do it is to be in scripture and uh, to be prayerful. But my temperament being active is, uh, makes it more difficult for me to do those things. And so this was able, a way of establishing uh, and perhaps reestablishing something going forward and morning and evening in the Psalms and, and prayer, which I think is, uh, will, will be good for the next 20 years. Um, hopefully, uh, you know, th- those disciplines, uh, once they once begun at the monastery, become part of what I do here. The new groove. The new groove. That's part of it. Yeah. So after that week, what did you do? What was next? Well, I'd, I'd had a week of silence, uh, more or less, not complete silence, but uh, very, very quiet. And I drove across the country to pick up my family who flew into Pisa and immediately, uh, I, I, my wife and my daughters hopped in the car and my girls started talking a mile a minute about the things that had happened on the flight and what had happened at home the week before. And I thought, well, there goes the silence. Uh, it was rather amusing. It was, it was nice while it lasted. It, it, it was, <laughs> but it also it is unrealistic to expect that life is going to be a monastery. Uh, I think it's, the monasteries are set apart, uh, in some ways, and uh, they're not the experience of, of Christians everywhere. But they're, they're, they're a season, I think, for, for most of us. Not, not the monks, they have a lifetime of it, but, but uh, for others it's a, a, a way of retreating in, in, uh, for, for a little bit so that we can come back in a different way. So it, it took a little bit of adaptation to, to be back with family. And, uh, but we, we did some traveling, uh, some, uh, some friends joined us and we, we did a few days in, uh, Cinco Terra along the, the coast. And then we spent, um, about a month in, uh, two different places in Tuscany in Italy and in two different houses for 10 days each and just enjoyed little day tr- trips to towns that were nearby and, uh, eating gelato every day. I had no idea that we would eat gelato as much as we did, but uh, we... Went in Italy. Went in Italy, <laughs> eat gelato and pasta and pizza. And uh, we did have uh, a little time after that in Spain as well, in Barcelona and uh, the Gold Coast uh, down near Gibraltar. And so it was a, a trip that we never would have been able to do as a family at a perfect time just before uh, our oldest daughter heads into high school. And that's when this kind of a trip would be harder to do because uh, the pace of life picks up again with high school. So the timing was just right for our family to do this. They're, they're old enough, they'll remember it and appreciate it. Yep. And you didn't have to worry about a nap schedule, but All it's not stuff. so late they're in college. And like, why are you dragging me on this thing, right? It, exactly. Yeah. They came back looking very proud. Like they both had yeah. this air of we have seen the world and it was great to see. Well, they spent most of the trip saying we wish we were home with friends. <laughs> and then they got home with their friends and said, what a great trip we've been on. And so, you know, you always like what you don't have. Hindsight. Yeah. Hindsight, which is which is w- what we expected. Yeah. So. 
But it was a gift gift for them too. I mean, yeah. they're going to carry that with them. That's a that's a. I asked uh, Madeline what her favorite thing was, and she was like, "I saw Hamilton." <laughs> yes, we saw Hamilton in London. Which in was London, great. how cool is it that? It is pretty cool. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So reestablishing some of those habits after twenty years in ministry, I think it often surprises people to hear how hard those spiritual habits are to keep as a pastor, because they think, "Well, that's our job. That's what we should be doing." But it often feels in ministry like you're being pecked to death by ducks because it's just a thousand little things every day. And so to keep that discipline of silence and stillness and being in the scriptures, you you almost need a hard reset every once in yeah. a while to go back to it. Yeah, there's a, a tendency in ministry to be held hostage by the urgent and immediate. And you walk through the door of the office with good intentions to uh, sit with scripture and pray. And very quickly, you're tugged into a conversation with uh, a member of the congregation who's in crisis or um, uh, responding to an email or a voicemail message that's been left on your phone. And, uh, you know, scripture and prayer become the thing you get to after all the other stuff is done. When uh, the, I think the more formative and um, helpful way to move into ministry is to have that as a uh, something that always begins and is the foundation for which all of those other things happen later. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. So the reset is, yeah. is so, a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's something we all struggle with. I mean, Daryl and I struggle with it and, and have for years and finding those ways to do the reset. Someone asked when our sabbatical is and we're like, when we don't have kids who are napping, right? Yeah. Like we are way away. We wouldn't enjoy it right now. We'd just be tired somewhere else. Yeah, and, and it doesn't necessarily have to be that you travel for three months either. Uh, I part, a big part of the sabbatical was was just at home. Yeah. And I think that part was also helpful. Yeah. Tell uh, us what you did when you were home. Well, I did, did some mountain biking and some yeah. surfing, and uh, there were some things around the house that just had to be uh, ma- maintained and some projects that had been on hold for a long time. I got a chance to do all those. Um, I also spent a lot of time in my garage on a PlayStation playing uh, <laughs> a video game that my neighbor, uh, my neighbor was one of the animators for. Oh, and, that's cool. and so he'd given me a copy of it. So I, I, it was finally my opportunity to to play this game. So, yeah. Neighborhood mission right there. Neighborhood mission. To play <laughs> and what did you do on Sundays? Because I saw you here once. You snuck in the back of one of the services. Yeah. But you weren't here on Sundays. Where were you? So uh, the kids wanted to come here. So we dropped them off at the youth group, and uh, they they wanted to be back here. But we knew we'd get tugged back into things. So we got a chance to go to a couple of the other churches nearby. We went to Mariners one Sunday and Mount of Olives on another Sunday. And what I enjoyed in that is that uh, we never get a chance to, to see what other nearby churches are doing and, and who they are in a way that, that is helpful to us uh, being able to see who we are in the larger church landscape of South Orange County. So I, was, uh, I really enjoyed being at, at both of those churches, very different experiences in both, but also it gave me a new appreciation for who we are and what we're doing here as well. So uh, I was, uh, and, and also just, you know, to hear someone else's preaching, I think is always a helpful thing to your own preaching too. Just, you know, we don't get preached too much yeah. as pastors. Yeah. So I think it's good to 
hear hear some other voices too. It is. It's there's something so um, just so right about having at least a few Sundays a year where you're just in the pews and yeah. no one's asking you where the closet for the whatever is and no one's like, can you just look at this for yeah. a second? And you can. One of the things I miss from just worshiping with a congregation is being able to let my face do whatever my face wants to do in response to what's being said because I feel if someone's looking at me, I never want to have a you know an expression that would make them think, oh, she doesn't agree with Daryl's sermon or, oh, oh, she's doing her shopping list, right? Like, I feel this pressure to kind of be on, even when I'm right. not on. And Yeah, that's, there's some truth to that. Yeah, that you're, even if you're in the pews, you're still, uh, you're still looked at as the pastor. Yeah. And people want to see how you react to things, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to start sitting out there with a paper bag over my head. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, so your, your sabbatical focused on Benedictine practices, at least mm-hmm. at the beginning, things like hospitality and prayer and silence. Um, and you're a Presbyterian. How did right. you find your way into the Catholic Church? And did you feel at home there or was it a foreign land? Yeah, a little bit of both. Uh, I found my way there uh, through... Uh, some work I had done when I did my uh, when I wrote my doctoral project, I had been looking for some tools to uh, form people in as disciples. You know, Jesus tells us to go to go and make disciples, and throughout the church's history, we've had different ways of doing that. And uh, I became uh, focused on the Benedictine monastic tradition. Partly because it uh, it was it was very clear what Benedict was trying to do. He was trying to preserve Christianity during a time when the institutions uh, of of Rome were disintegrating, including the church. And he uh, brought a, a great number of, of things that he in the Benedictine rule, which are are basically a, a book that describes how life will be lived uh, in a monastery and who's in charge and what needs to happen and, and what do these monks do every day. And the, the thing that I first realized was the, the role of, of Scripture is huge in a monastery. Well, we can all find agreement with that as Presbyterians too. And they had a very strong emphasis on praying the Psalms, which we have in Scottish Presbyterian history as well. So I said, there's, there are touch points here where we can, we can find agreement. Uh, the role of silence, I think, is necessary to be able to hear your own thoughts, but also to be able to, to listen for what God might be saying in your life too. So it all it all made sense in that way. And hospitality is something that is, uh, Benedict said that if you were to receive a guest at the monastery, you were to receive them as if Christ uh, had come to your door. And so uh, we've been working at hospitality here. It's become a value at, at, at the church. And so a number of these things were uh, little bridges into the life that we've been developing and thinking about here. It just happens that it, it's something that's 1,700 years old and, uh, and yet still has some staying power. So the, there were parts of it where I went, yes, this 
is really necessary. And, and Lexio Divina, the idea that we sit with scripture and let God address us in it. Yeah. That's built into... How is that different of, than like Bible study? Like pull out the knowledge. How is Lexio different than that? Right. So normally in a Bible study, we're trying to um, study the scripture with, with a lot of tools that will help us to extract the meaning of a, of a word. So you'll do a word study and what does the Greek mean by this? And how is the sentence structured in such a way that um, the thoughts before it and the thoughts after it connect? And so you, you try to get the, um, the information accurately and absorb it and then you decide how you're going to apply it. It's more clinical. It's more clinical. It's it's the way that based. most of us are taught how to do things in school. Um, it's definitely important for preaching to preach accurately, but lexio divina is reading scripture um, with the primary focus of uh, allowing God to address you, and uh, so the monks will would sit with scripture and short in short passages and would read it aloud in their rooms by themselves. And, and as they would sit with these small portions, often a word or a phrase would, would come to the surface of their, um, their imagination or in their soul, and they would focus in on that word with the thought that God, um, through the Holy Spirit, was trying to address them in some way. And so it might be have something to do with their life or their decision-making or something that's happening at the monastery, but there is it was a or something happening in the world that they were to pray for, but they would focus in on a word or a phrase. And I think that as Christians, we believe that God addresses us, um, sometimes in, in different ways, but Scripture is one of the primary ways that God addresses us. And so I think we need a, we need a little bit of both, uh, but we've tended to lose the Lexio Divina tradition and focus much more on the um, sort of clinical... Um, study of scripture rather than coming to it first to be addressed by God. Mm. And so that, that was, uh, again, I think, uh, an important part of, of the, you know, what I, what I learned and what I did this summer as well. Yeah. So So you're, you're Catholic now. No. So that's, that's where (laughs) I didn't. So there were some, some parts of this where I, of the, the time at the monastery where I was, Okay, there, uh, here, here's w- what works, here's what doesn't work. So Latin uh, is one <laughs> that I still don't speak Latin and, and likely never will. Uh, but, but also the, uh, a number of the emphasis in uh, Roman, the Roman Catholic vein of Christianity are things that, that the Protestant Reformation sought to correct, like an overemphasis on Mary and, and the, the adoration of Mary. Um, and also the, the, what happens at the Lord's Supper with uh, the bread and the, the wine in, in Catholic understanding actually being physically the, the body and blood of Christ. And, and so there would be a time where they would um, bring out the, the host, uh, the, the bread, and, and the monks would just sit and, and worship this, uh, this bread as if Christ was present in the bread. And uh, before any communion was to be taken, uh, it would just be a time called the adoration of the host. And it just isn't in my understanding of what uh, 
what the Lord's Supper is about. And so there were some things I, I didn't partake in. And uh, they had Mass every day, uh, which is the, the Lord's Supper. And uh, I chose to uh, drive into town and uh, write my blog during that time because they wouldn't have allowed me to take uh, the Lord's Supper with them anyway. And so that was, a, there's always a little bit of a bone of contention there that Roman Catholics will um, say that, that our baptism is a Christian baptism, but they won't allow us to share communion with them. And so uh, we have different understandings of what that, what's happening in, in that act. And so, it, you know, for their integrity and mine, I chose to uh, not be part of it. So I'm not a Catholic, but, <laughs> but, the, but they do have a few things that we can learn uh, from and yeah. uh, from each other. And uh, so that's helpful. And the fact that you said 1,700 years, right? Some of these practices have been going on. They, how much wisdom and value is is wrapped up in all of those years of practice? I think so many things come into the Protestant church and the Presbyterian church, and it's this great new idea that we've had for two years, right? But these ideas are tested and tried, and they've been part of the church for generations. Yeah, yeah for hundreds of years. And so it... it they're worth examining they be, because they, they haven't disappeared. There are Benedictines all over the world today. And uh, so it's it worth, worth taking a look at and see what, what value there might be in it for us as well. I think there's wisdom, too, in pursuing something that is so far outside of your own tradition because it does help you to see your own tradition more clearly, right? Sure. Every time I fly home to Wisconsin, I see Wisconsin for the first time. And then when I come home, I see California for the first time, right? You start to appreciate yep. and notice things that you come, you be, you've become kind of home blind to because you've just lived with them. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, and it's good to be a little bit of duck out of water uh, and not be in what is comfortable. Uh, it does challenge you to think... Uh, about your, what you're about in some fresh ways. So I know not everyone listening to the podcast has read your blog. Can you share the story of how you got into the monastery for the first time? Because that is one of my favorite stories that you wrote about this summer. So, yeah, it is funny because <laughs> I, I had flown to, to Rome uh, by myself and I managed to get Had you through been there before ever? A long, long, long time okay. ago. But I managed to get my rental car figured out, and then I had uh, a five-hour drive ahead of me across the country and into the mountains. And as I got to this town where the monastery was located, uh, it, it was actually just outside the town, up on, on the hillside, overlooking the town. And my Google Maps uh, took me on this very strange route where I started on some small secondary roads and within a, about a half a mile I was on um, roads that were clearly only used for, for uh, farming tractors. And it was I'm, a cow path. It was a cow, like a cow <laughs> path or a tractor path. And I, I finally, um, after bumping along these little roads, I got to a gate to the monastery and it was, you know, rather tall and fence around the whole thing. And there was nobody around, and uh, it was uh, late afternoon, and I thought, well, they, they know that I'm coming sometime today, but I had no way of figuring out what to do next, so I climbed over the fence <laughs> and, and, uh, and walked uh, up to the, uh, the monastery, and, and, and I finally saw uh, a monk in behind the, in one of the rooms through a window, and so I, I opened another 
small gate and walked up to the door and knocked on it. And I, 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 the, the monk came out and he said, oh, this is the cloistered area. Uh, you can't come in here. And he took me back outside the gate and mm-hmm. asked me who I was. And, and so far, I really wasn't feeling the hospitality right. part. They you like, made it into the forbidden city. Yeah, yeah <laughs> and, and you know, and, and I, I couldn't help but think of Jesus' word about the thief who, uh, you know, the, the the true shepherd who is with the sheep is not like the thief who climbs over the fence, you know, to, to <laughs> steal and destroy. I think I think it was. Uh, I felt a little bit like like the thief who had come in over the fence. Who are you, and why are you here? <laughs> uh, but uh, once once they uh, realized who I was, and and uh, uh, they were able to uh, find me, uh, my my house, little house that I was staying in, and and get me settled, and and things went well after that. I, it turns out though that the the gate I'd gone to had been the front gate of the place uh, oh, many years ago, uh, but they had since put in a proper service road and a proper gate, and they had someone manning it. Uh, it just so happens Google hadn't picked up on that fact and had took me this this old route so technology makes our lives so much easier except right when yeah it does it. that's right yeah it, it, it got you five hours but then it failed at the and last then it failed at the last 20 second. minutes yeah that's right that's right <laughs> that's awesome um well what would you say was your biggest takeaway from the summer if you had to like the biggest change in you or the biggest change in your thinking or your ministry what's the nugget that you took i think the nugget is to uh, find find the time and space to be with God in scripture and quietly just with your soul, um, all with the sense that you uh, will be different with others as you come into their lives and space. You, you come with a new appreciation to hear and, uh, and perhaps, and perhaps the, the, the nuances um, you're more attuned to. Uh, as a result of of sitting in that receptive place rather than feeling like there's something you have to do all the time so yeah that's part of the part of the puzzle for me was how, how to come back into the life of the congregation in a way that's a little more attuned to hearing people yeah that's, and that's and, and looking for what God's doing hmm. in those situations Expecting to see God at work yeah. rather than trying to manufacture. Yeah, or just, you know, trying to, you, it's not about getting things done. Yeah. Um, there are things that have to be done in the church, but I think at the end of the day, this is God's work mm-hmm. and uh, we get to participate in it. And there's, uh, but if we're not watching or listening and, and attuned to what God is doing in people's lives, we'll, we'll miss out on the very thing that we're, we're called to. And so that does come from, uh, learning to uh, hear God's voice and to recognize the Spirit's presence in a fresh way. Mm. That's, that's something that everyone can take away, too. That's not just a pastoral thing, yeah, right? That's no, every person in the I, congregation. That's yeah, the call. That is, yeah. So sitting, sitting in Scripture is, uh, I think, a big part of that, that uh, we shouldn't take it lightly. Um, mm. should find a way to build it into our daily, daily habit. First things first. Yeah. What would you say, coming back with fresh eyes for PCOM, what would you say your greatest hope is for PCOM moving forward? Well, I, I think some of the things that were happening while 
I was away were uh, are heading in the right direction. I think you know we've we've just recently um, made some changes to what we're doing with the deacons, where rather than responding um, only when a crisis happens, a health crisis or something else, uh, the deacons are are now trying to um, know their neighborhoods and and uh, know people and be in their lives. Um, and if a crisis happens, the, the whole neighborhood uh, in that area can take care of one another. And the deacon, you know, I think we're, we're learning how to be in each other's lives in a richer way. And, and I do think that that is the, the, one of the big, uh, the big potential, what's the word I'm looking for? One of the biggies. That, that this church could could shine in yeah. that makes it different from the other churches in South Orange County is that if you're here, you're known yeah. and you're loved and people know what's happening in your life. Because there is a, a, a tendency, in, I, I think, here to, to be disengaged from one another in, in just in the way that life happens. People are busy. Uh, they... they drive into their garage and, and close it behind them. And, and you might not know your neighbors, but if you're in a neighborhood with your, uh, with your deacons, you know people that are nearby and you're in each other's lives in a way that perhaps other people in, in our neighborhoods look at and go, uh, there's life there. Yeah. So I think... Hospitality on a grand scale. Yeah, hospitality um, and ability to, to, to listen to one another, to... Uh, uh, to look for what God's doing in in those things. So I, I think that those are, are are big parts of that. And of course, leveraging some technology like the new database system here helps us with that potentially. And it's about the people. It's about the people. The peopleizing. People of God. Yeah. 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 No, there's. It's been really fun starting to see. Now, Daryl and I have been here five years. You've been here nine years. Yeah, eight, eight and, eight yeah, and a half. something like that. Yeah. Eight yeah, and, and to see the the changes that have happened during our time here. I remember my first Sunday on the patio. I had several people come up to me and say, "I'm going to introduce myself because I've heard we're not very friendly and we're really working on it." You know, and I was like, "Well, yeah. that's great, but like, don't tell me that part. Just introduce yourself." You know, there's a there was a layer of like self consciousness about it that's that's gone now, right? People just are starting to live into this idea that it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to introduce yourself again. It's okay to, yeah. you know, stumble over your words. Like we're all in it together. And there's, there's a playful sense of, of fellowship here that I think is, is growing. And we're finding some ways to enfold new people into yeah. the life of the church sooner rather than later. Uh, and then the congregation, I think, is more engaging in not just looking toward their circle of friends, but to look out and see who may be new, that uh, is certainly uh, what we hear from people who are new here now. It's like this is a very friendly church. Yeah. Someone and asked me to lunch. Someone remembered my name. Yeah. And that's not usually a pastor. That's usually someone in the pew. And yeah. that's, that's fantastic because we can't, we can't do that. The three of us can't do that, right? Nope. Like we need, we need the church on board, and they really they are. Yeah. Well, and the fact is there are a lot of new people who are who are not that new now. Yeah. You know, who've been here a few years and and they've changed us as well. Yeah. And I think that's always telling that that uh, it's a community of people that's always um, a little different than it was a year earlier. Yeah. 
So. So Jackson, what is one thing that God has been teaching you since you've been back? There's a few things that come to mind for me right now. One is that uh, paying attention to family and not just you know running running our schedules all all four of our schedules at at the pace that we were um, is important. We've we've got to make sure that uh, we we take time uh, to be with each other. We had a, a wonderful time, all four of us, just doing life together in Europe. It's nice to come back and go, well, we're together in this. We're not just four individuals running out and doing their own things. But the, the common meal, we check in with each other, um, you know, about high points and low points each day still. And uh, I think we as a family are together in a way that we weren't. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think in some ways life uh, tends to fragment folks. And so I come back uh, with the, the hope that our family is a little more cohesive than it was. Mm-hmm. And the other part of it, I, I think uh, I expressed before, was coming back into the groove, um, but maybe not exactly the same groove, uh, wanting to be with the congregation uh, in their homes, over meals, uh, just doing life with them in, in a little different way. Those are the, the big takeaways. Well, we're so glad you're back. Thanks. It's, and It's great to have you and back. And it's fun to be back. Yeah. And uh, thanks for the interview. It's, it's fun to do these things. And I guess I'll do this with you in six months again or something. Perfect. Whenever okay. you got a new story to share, we would love to have you back on the podcast. Sounds great. And I'll come with some scrapes on my arms and, and, yeah. uh, and knees from, from biking. You'll we'll have to go again. to the show notes to see Jackson's latest road rash. We'll, we'll, we'll update it with pictures. Perfect. <laughs> well, thanks for being with us on the PECOM podcast. Tune in next time to hear more stories of God at work. Have a story you'd like to share at the PECOM podcast? Contact Pastor Courtney Ellis at Courtney.ellis at mypecom.com. The PECOM podcast is a production of Presbyterian Church of the Master. Our web guru is Kevin Reimers. Original music by Jeff Given. Join us Sundays for worship at 9 and 1045 a.m. where we tell the stories of what God is doing in our midst. Thank you.